We are, this is, so this is week two of uh, Missions Month, and why don't we, why don't we start by uh, stepping back and, and let's recap the big story. Part of what we're trying to do this month is tell the big story of the Scriptures from the perspective of God's mission on earth and what He's doing. So last week we looked at creation, and we looked at the way that God's mission, the scope of God's mission, is the whole earth. The earth is the Lord's, and God's looking to renew all things, creation as well as humanity, and how we can participate in that. Uh, If you've read much of the biblical story, you know that after Genesis 1 and 2, it starts really well, and then it goes downhill really, really quickly. You have the fall in Genesis 3, where humanity rebels against God, turns to themselves, turns to their own desires, turns to their own interests, and gets themselves in in a complete mess. Uh, detached from God, and the whole of creation is thrown out of its relationship with God, and God pronounces this curse, this judgment on, on His human creatures and on the land. And then the, the following few chapters in Genesis really are a testimony to the rippling effects of sin as it keeps spiraling out. It, it spirals out into the family. Uh, Adam and Eve have children, and one of their sons murders the other son, Cain, murders Abel. And you see, this, this problem of sin hasn't gone away. It's being passed on. It, it's continuing just to, just to ripple out. It ripples out into society. By the time you get to Genesis 6, God is basically threatening to wipe out the whole human project. And uh, the sin of the earth is so grievous that, that God sends this flood, this judgment upon the whole earth and spares just one family, Noah and his, his family, and really starts again after the flood. The effects of sin have gotten so bad that God is regretting that He's even begun uh, this project of making humanity in His own image. And it continues from there. Sin ripples out right through to the international level. You have Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel in in Babylonia. All the nations gather together, the people groups at least, the tribes that were around, and they try and build this huge tower, this great edifice to their own glory and their own superiority. And God comes and sees this is being done from selfish and proud motives. And so he strikes the tower and scatters the nations and, and, and creates the languages that all the nations would speak to confuse them. And this is really a, a massive act of God's judgment on sin that has just rippled out to the, to the very broadest level at that stage. So you have this picture by the end of Genesis 11 of just catastrophe, that the problem is continuing. It's getting worse. It's going wider. It's going broader. And you're left wondering how on earth God is going to intervene. How is God going to get us back? How is God going to redeem what is now so fallen? And then you get to Genesis 12. And Genesis 12, suddenly the whole story takes on a completely new tone. It's upbeat. There's a note of hope. And, and when you step back from the whole biblical narrative, it's not a stretch to say that Really, Genesis 1 to 11 presents the solution, uh, the, 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 the problem. Genesis 12 right through to Revelation 22 is the solution. So if you see it that way, it's, it's a good way of reading the Bible. The first 11 chapters of Genesis is just a huge catastrophe. And then Genesis 12 is the beginning of God's answer, the beginning of God's response to the problem of sin in the world. And Jesus is still a long, long way off, but even right back here in Genesis 12, A huge ray of light and hope shines through. So let's read these first few verses in Genesis 12 together. Just the first three verses and uh, see where we get to. Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, 
and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This guy Abraham really comes from nowhere. He's, he's just appearing in the biblical narrative. He, he is the guy that later becomes Abraham, by the way. This is his earlier name, Abraham. He's mentioned in a, in a genealogy in Genesis 11, but he's got no particular credentials. He's not particularly important, doesn't really have any connections. He's about 75 by this stage, um, although people lived a lot longer then, so probably wouldn't be considered a senior citizen. But he was, you know, getting on in years and really just an ordinary guy making life work in a, in a, in a very ancient culture. And out of the blue, God appears to him and says, Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave the people you're connected with. I want you to leave even your extended family. And I want you to go. And by the way, uh, I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Just go. And I'll show you. We read this and we think, well, that's fair enough. And, and you know, Abraham, of course, should have gone. But try and put yourself in his shoes and imagine what this must have been like. My parents left on Saturday for a three-month European vacation, meticulously planned. It's like a 20-page itinerary. You know, they still managed to get the, the time wrong on one plane trip, but generally this is how we travel today. You know, everything is documented, everything is completely planned. Imagine if tonight uh, a voice you thought was God uh, s sounded forth in the darkness and said, pack up, leave the country, leave New Zealand, leave the people you're connected with, leave your extended family, just take your immediate family and a few possessions and go. Just head to the airport. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. I'll tell you when you get there. I'll tell you what plane to catch, but just head to the airport. You know, what would, you'd get your head checked. This, this doesn't happen today. We'd, we'd think that we were, uh, you know, we'd eaten something funny last night. It was giving us grief. And this is the situation Abraham's in. He doesn't know much about God. God hasn't revealed much of himself by Genesis chapter 12. But God just says, Abraham, I want you to go. And then as God continues speaking, he says, not, not only are you going to go, Abraham, but guess what's going to happen? I am going to bless you. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great. The author of Genesis wants us to hear those words in view of what's just happened in Genesis 11. Be useful to read Genesis 11 when you get home and put this uh, story in the context of the nations gathering at Babel. When all these nations assemble in Babylonia, one of the things they say is, we're going to build this tower so that we will make a great name for ourselves. We're going to make our name great. And then in the very next scene, after God has brought judgment on the nations, he chooses one man and says, I'm going to make your name great. God's in control of the story, not people. God's going to choose whom he blesses. God's going to choose whose name is made great. God's going to choose where his blessing goes and how the story moves forward. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You are going to be a great nation. And then here's the second part of it. He says, not only will I bless you, but two phrases later, and you will be a blessing. See, right here in Genesis 12, in these early opening chapters of Genesis, is this incredible insight into how God works. And it just repeats itself over and over and over again through the biblical story, right through the entire scriptures. God says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. I'll bless you and then you'll be a blessing. God's blessing is always moving forward. 
It never arrives. It never stops. It's always moving forward. God doesn't bless people just to be blessed. He's not blessing Abraham just so Abraham would be blessed. He's blessing him so that he would be a blessing to others. God's blessing is going to move through Abraham. It's not going to stop with him. He says, Abraham, you're going to be blessed, no question, but you will then go on and be an incredible blessing. I'm going to bless all those who bless you. I'm going to curse all those who curse you. And even greater, if you can fathom this, all peoples, all ethnicities of the earth are eventually going to be blessed through you. That's how far the blessing is going to go. And as you step back from this uh, passage, this word that God says to Abraham, there are two words here, two Hebrew words, which are imperatives. If you remember English grammar, imperatives are instructions or commandments. The two words are the word for go and the Hebrew word, which is translated, and you will be a blessing. That's just one word in Hebrew. So you could translate that phrase when God says, and you will be a blessing. You could translate that, be a blessing. You could translate it as, a, as an exhortation where God says, go and be a blessing. And everything else is really describing that. Everything else is really unpacking that. But the guts of the guts of the guts of what God is saying is, Abraham, I want you to go and be a blessing. Abraham didn't quite know how that was going to work yet. He couldn't possibly have imagined how the entire scriptures would unfold. But at this stage, God just says, Abraham, go and, and be a blessing. And I'm going to show you how it's going to work. And then you have in verse 4 of Genesis 12, possibly the, the most understated three words in the entire Bible. So Abraham went. <laughs> it's, you, you just uh, get so frustrated with how tantalizingly succinct the Old Testament is. Where's the emotion? Where's the, what was it like, though? You know, how did he feel? Wasn't there, you know, you can, you can imagine Abraham sometimes as just some almost robotic kind of guy. You know, yes, Lord, and off he goes. But come on, he was human. He wrestled with this. Perhaps not for long, because it seems like he did take off pretty quickly. But man, he must have had questions. How did he feel? How did his wife Sarai respond to this when he sat down and said, hey, uh, the Lord has just spoken to me, whoever the Lord is, and... Uh, Guess what? We're, we're going to go. Where? Not sure. Why? Don't know. But we're going to go. Pack up the kids, pack up the bags, pack the camels, here we go. And that's about it. But Abraham went. Abraham went. It was incredible. And there's no, there's no uh, surprise that when you get to the other end of the Bible, in Hebrews 11, this great list of all the heroes of faith right through the Scriptures, guess whose name looms large over that chapter? Abraham. That is incredible faith that he demonstrates, knowing so little about God, having so little to hold on to, he just, he goes. He steps out, he trusts, actively exercises faith. And the author of Hebrews says, that's exactly what faith is. How can I describe faith without referring to Father Abraham, the father of us all? So Abraham goes. And God leads him, and, and the story of Genesis bears out how this all works. God's promise continues through Abraham and then Isaac, and then his son Jacob. Jacob becomes the, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this promise to Abraham is fulfilled. Abraham becomes this father of a great nation, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, who to this day trace their ancestry right back to here. Genesis 12, the call of Abraham. Father Abraham, the great father of the Jews. And he was the father of this great nation, Israel, whom God chose for his blessing, for his own possession, plucked them out of all the nations, and said, you are a people 
who are going to bear my name. And again, you see this pattern that Israel was blessed, yes, but not just to be blessed, to be a blessing. We're going to talk about that a bit more next week, how Israel was blessed ultimately for the sake of the nations, how God was always looking through Israel, always looking past his dealings with Israel to all nations, his purposes eventually to bless all people. And so this pattern of God's nature again reveals itself. God blesses in order that the one he blesses, the nation he blesses, the person he blesses, would then be a blessing to others. And so the story of Israel continues, and you find in the later chapters of the New Testament, in the first century, the Apostle Paul writing to a church in Rome made up largely of non-Jews, made up predominantly of Gentiles. And he says these incredible words in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, that's Jews, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. And then these words, listen. He is the father of us all. And with that statement, Paul brings his Gentile audience outside the nation of Israel, the Gentiles, within the scope of Abraham's blessing. This far-flung community in the Roman Empire now suddenly included within the scope of the Abrahamic blessing. What's happened between Genesis 12 and Romans 4 to create that kind of situation? Well, Jesus has happened. And Jesus has come, and we'll look at this in a couple of weeks' time, in order that God's original blessing to Abraham might eventually extend to all peoples, to all nations. That's why we're here this morning. That's why those of us who are not Jewish this morning can still walk with God and know God, because God's blessing to Abraham has come down and down and down and been passed on and on and on, and with Jesus has opened up and up and up beyond the traditional chosen people of ethnic Israel and has encompassed even us, even us who would be considered filthy Gentiles, now we are invited into the family of God. Now we stand at the end of a long line of blessing, and we are included within the covenant people. We are included within the people of blessing, within the nation of blessing, whom God has chosen and whom God has blessed eventually through Abraham. We are the partial fulfillment of Genesis 12, when God said to Abraham, I will bless all peoples of the earth through you. That's us. We are now the recipients of that incredible multinational, international blessing that God foresaw even in Genesis 12 and from eternity past that eventually the blessing would come right down to us. And so that pattern again repeats itself. What does it mean that God's blessing has come to us? It means that we're not just blessed to be blessed, but also to be a blessing. It means that we come all the way back full circle to Genesis 12 and now we hear these words spoken to us. Now we hear these words spoken to us as followers of Jesus, as people who follow in the footsteps of Abraham, as children, in a sense, of Abraham. That's what we are as Christian believers. We are now adopted children of Abraham. God has blessed us. God's words to Abraham are to us, I will bless you. And he surely has. Think of the words of that song we sang, nothing compares to the promise I have in you. Do you really believe that? Nothing compares to the promise 
that we have, those who have hoped in Christ, those who have put their trust in Him, what do we have? The forgiveness of sins, peace with God, the dividing wall of sin and hostility with God now crumbled down, free access to the Father and the Son and the Spirit, of course, let's be Trinitarian. You know, all of this, uh, comfort in our troubles, the community of believers around us, the hope of being resurrected one day, uh, the new heaven and new earth with Christ, all of these things, the down payment of the Holy Spirit, taste of the new creation in the present. There's no question we've been blessed. There's no question that God's blessing to Abraham has come down and down and down, and now we have that blessing ourselves. And yet it's not us, it's not ours to hoard. It's not ours just to keep to ourselves. It's not ours just to store up and tuck off in a dark corner. But now we come back to God's words to Abraham. Remember what he said? I will bless you and you will be a blessing. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Go and be a blessing. Those become God's words to us, to the Christian community gathered here in Auckland in the 21st century. Go and be a blessing. That movie, Pay It Forward, unwraps that concept a little bit. This teacher in a high school challenges his students to come up with one idea that will change the world. And so among all the crazy ideas that are, that are produced by this class, uh, one boy comes up with the concept of one person doing three acts of kindness, random acts of kindness, for three people. Then those three people do three random acts of kindness for three other people, and on it goes, and on it goes, and on it goes. And a revolution of kindness is sparked that eventually will change the world. It's not a Christian movie, but the concept is, is sort of at the heart of this idea of going and being a blessing. We are blessed, and there is nothing that we can do to pay God back. He doesn't require that, and it's a futile effort to try. But what he says we can do, and what he invites us to do, is in a sense to pay it forward. Not that we're under any debt or obligation, but we do it out of willing and glad hearts to move God's blessing forward. We have the privilege now of being conduits of God's blessing. It doesn't stop with us. It doesn't arrive with us. It's always moving forward. And so if you have received the blessing of God, God now turns to you and says, can you go and be a blessing to others? Can you go in a myriad of ways, in a thousand different locations, in different conversations and times, and it'll look different for every person. But can you go and be a blessing to someone else? Can you move the blessing forward? Our youth this week have gotten involved in uh, this program called RAC, Random Acts of Kindness, and they have gone out across Auckland and just done these acts of generous, altruistic kindness for people that they've encountered, and uh, when they've done a particular thing, they've had a little card which says RAC, R-A-K on it, or you've been, you've been racked, is what it says, and they would give this card to, uh, to someone, uh, not, knowing, not that person knowing who they were, and, and just the most um, diverse situations, but looking for opportunity, such a good thing for them, a discipline to turn them outside of themselves towards the needs and interests of other people, trying to do these random acts of kindness. And as Christians, we have a greater reason to do such acts of kindness than any unbeliever has. See, there's a, there's a national rack day coming up on the 1st of September in New Zealand where everybody is being encouraged to go out in these random acts of kindness. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have a greater reason to, to act kindly and generously toward others because we have been blessed 
We have received blessing that so many others have not. And we are motivated by the God of the universe to now go and move that blessing forward and carry that blessing on. We don't need to wait until National Rack Day to do that. We can be looking for ways to be a blessing to others. It doesn't have to be a formal church program. It doesn't have to be an organization that you start and and form a committee and have a financial secretary. Don't, Don't worry about all that stuff. Just look for ways to be a blessing. Look for ways, simple ways, everyday ways, spontaneous ways in which you can go and be a blessing. Not because you have to, but because it's the privilege that we've been given of participating in Abraham's blessing and continuing to move it forward. It can be the simplest thing. Send a card to a colleague who's sick. Take a pot plant and put it on your neighbor's doorstep. Do a bit of weeding for your neighbor while they're out. Even just a word of encouragement. How often do we come alongside someone else and just thank them, just encourage them, just put an arm on someone's shoulder and let them know, hey, I'm praying for you. Offer to carry someone's shopping bags. Let someone else go ahead of you in line. Don't get grumpy when that car pulls in front of you on the way to church, but just wave and smile. (laughs) A random act of kindness. When we start doing this stuff, I think a lot of the time it's it's better for us even than it is for the people we're serving. I mean, it might bless someone else, but it does something for our own soul when we force ourselves to take our eyes off my interests, my agenda, my little tunnel vision of how my day has to look and every deadline I have to make and just practice the discipline of looking to the interests and the needs of others, practicing the discipline of lifting our eyes up and just being aware of those around us, what needs there might be at any given time, in any given day, and thinking of the words in Genesis 3, go and be a blessing. How can I bless somebody? How can I move the blessing forward? And as we do this, as we participate in in this, this part of God's mission of going and being a blessing to others, it's worth remembering that in the biblical story, as God's blessing moves on and on and on and, and, and down through the generations, it seems that it has it takes a particular shape. And in particular, God is so concerned that his blessing extends to those who are the least. God desires everybody to be blessed, and He desires Christians to be characterized always by kindness and love, not by judgmentalism, but by love and by charity and and, and good deeds done out of love. And yet God always has a stoop in His blessing and always reaches down and is so concerned continually for the well-being of those who are marginalized, for those who are neglected, for those who don't have a voice, those who don't have an advocate those who are defenseless in society, those who don't have power, who aren't the decision makers, who aren't the opinion leaders, those whom the rest of society kind of steamrolls over the top of and so easily forgets. And constantly God's voice comes. It booms through the prophets when he says through Isaiah, seek justice for the oppressed and for the downtrodden. Lift up the poor and the brokenhearted and make sure the rich are not becoming so self-occupied that they're not sharing what they have with the poor. Plead the cause of the defenseless and the poor and the foreigner and the orphan and the widow. Take special interest and special care for these people. These people are mine, says the Lord. Constantly God is turning his people towards those who are the least, those on the bottom rung of the social ladder. And then when God himself steps onto the earth in the form of Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he he says these incredible words. Whatever you do to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do to me. 
Jesus says, every time that you extend God's blessing to those who are the least, then you are serving me. You're not just serving them. You're serving the King of Kings. It's not just that we're being Jesus to those people. We're serving Jesus when we serve those people. When we bless them, we're blessing the Lord. When we curse them, we're cursing the Lord himself. And Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these people, you are doing it to me. And in Jesus' day, the least were people like lepers, people with demonic spirits, people with all kinds of diseases who were considered outcasts in that day. And we need to ask ourselves today, who, who would be the least of these in our society, in our culture, here on the North Shore, where there seems to be so much affluence? Who would be the least? You think of groups maybe like the elderly, who can be so often marginalised and neglected and forgotten. Groups like physically and mentally handicapped people. As you think about all this, you think about what can we do, what is one thing that you could do this week? You need to remember the first word that God spoke to Abraham. Remember what it was? Go. It's a pretty powerful word because for Abraham, there was no blessing without leaving. Leaving and blessing went together. They go together right through the scriptures. There can be no resurrection before the crucifixion. And every time you want to be a blessing, every time blessing takes place, it always requires leaving something. It always requires some type of sacrifice, some type of giving up. And we need to, to wrestle with what it is that God might be calling us to give up and go from in order that the blessing might be released through us. It might be giving up a little bit of convenience and being prepared to be a little bit put out by others. It might be giving up a little bit of time and the busyness and the craziness of our weekly schedules, carving out just a little bit of space to lift our eyes above ourselves and, and minister to others and be aware of the needs of others around us. It might be leaving our comfort zone. That's what our youth are doing, ministering with fab ministering to people that aren't like us, that don't look like us, don't think like us, don't act like us. It's a very healthy discipline for us to get into. It might be, and I know this is true for me, simply leaving behind so much of a self-focus, so consumed with my agenda, my priorities, everything I've got to get done today, and we all have legitimate things pressing for our attention, a million things vying for our time. And it's so healthy sometimes to just feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit just causing us to turn outward, just a little bit, even just a couple of degrees beyond ourselves, above our own needs in this moment, and just to focus for a minute on what's happening with those around me. Let me just lift my head and look at what God is doing in, my, in the life of my neighbor, perhaps my physical neighbor, or someone else that's close to me, someone else that I bump into during the course of my day. It's not comfortable, and, and, and we fight it with every ounce of our own beings when we feel that turn outward, that turn beyond ourselves. It's not nice. It's pretty painful. And yet when we surrender to the prompting of the Spirit and we allow Him to focus us on the needs of others so that we might say a word, speak a word, do an act, something that's going to carry God's blessing forward, we come back to our own needs with such a renewed perspective. We come back to our own schedules with such a refreshed view of the relative importance of so much of what takes up our time. And those problems that for us are so pressing and the tyranny of the urgent and chasing uh, this and that and, and collecting 
the assets and building the bank balance and the investment portfolio and so on, we suddenly come back and just see those things in view of God's mission on earth and in view of eternal significance. And sometimes it is that turning beyond ourselves that brings us face to face with where we're at and the importance of those things that we're filling our lives with and how important all that is. So what is it that God's calling you to leave? What is it that he's calling you to go from? Who is it that he's calling you to bless? Is there one person this week that you could go and demonstrate just a random act of kindness? Just start in small ways. Is there one person? Is there one blessing? Is there one way in which you could take seriously God's words to Abraham to go and to be a blessing? 